got your Bibles with you today, we're going to be starting in Mark 1. Last couple of weeks have been a little bit on the heavy side. So this morning is going to be a, a little bit less on the heavy side. A little bit. You ever have those moments where you're in a situation or you hear something or you see something and you just kind of give yourself a, hmm, I wonder what's going on there. I wonder what that's about. I wonder what that means, those hmm moments. I, I seem to have those often. Today's passage from the Gospel of Mark is the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and it's, it's one of those that's got some hmm moments. Because for as much as we're told, there's an awful lot that we're about to read about that we're not told. Last week we were at the end of Jesus' ministry life, and today we're at the very beginning. Today we look at the moment that He reached out to the first man that He called to be His disciples. And I wonder, hmm, I wonder if those guys knew what was at stake. I wonder if they really understood who Jesus was. I wonder when He approached them if they had any idea how radically their lives would be changed. I wonder if they had any idea how their response to Jesus' statement about what they did with the rest of their life would radically alter the rest of human history. I wonder if they had any clue. It's interesting to note how simply everything begins, though, with Jesus' ministry. Jesus didn't ask for volunteers. We do that in the church all the time, but Jesus never did. He didn't post a few signs around town saying He was looking for a few good men who'd be willing to learn a whole lot in a very short amount of time and then die miserable deaths when it's all over. He didn't take an ad out in the newspaper. There's no record of Him doing interviews or asking for references. Jesus just simply begins to go to work doing what He does and what He asks us to do. He begins His ministry by gathering disciples. The very first thing He does publicly It's worth noting that at the very end of Jesus' ministry, He's still talking about disciples. If you go to the Great Commission in Matthew 28, it says, Then Jesus came to them, the disciples, and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to Me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. What is it to be a disciple We learn and obey everything that Jesus has taught us. Everything about Jesus' ministry, life, and teaching was about making disciples. The whole point of those three years of His life here on earth was building a small team of disciples who would replicate what He poured into them billions and billions and billions of times over. And what I mean by that is the twelve went out and gathered a few more who learned the same thing and then they taught a few more. And before you know it, here we are, billions of people later, hearing the same message. That's why it's so important that we never stray from the truth of God's Word. So we, you and I, the Open Door Christian Church, we're, we're direct descendants spiritually of these guys that we meet in this passage today. We're here because they responded to their call from Jesus. They answered their ministry calling. And boy, am I glad. Because sometimes I wonder, hmm, what if they would have said no? 
What if they would have done what I do and ask a whole bunch of questions first? What if they would have wanted to know what they were getting into? What if, what if, what if? Well, let's take a look at what really did happen. Mark 1, verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. John the Baptist was the one that was sent to prepare the way for Jesus. John the Baptist had gathered something of a congregation. He had his own disciples. He gathered a ministry force, sort of as an opener for the arrival of Jesus. John wasn't the headliner. Jesus was. And John knew it. That's why when, when Jesus arrives, John tells the people that have been following him, hey, he's the guy that you want to follow. I'm not the one. He's the one. You go follow him. John understood his role. He was about to pass the baton to Jesus. And when you pass the baton, timing is everything if you've ever run in track. John's role and, and his message were incredibly important to set the stage for Jesus. See, what John did was John got people's attention and he got them listening to the idea of repentance. In Acts 13 and verse 24 it says, Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. Why would John preach about Repentance doesn't seem to be a very popular topic because it's repenting from sin because the one that was followed, Jesus of Nazareth, the one He was there to prepare the way for, the long-awaited Messiah, would bring the good news. He would be the good news of the Gospel, which is the salvation for the forgiveness of sins. You don't get there without repentance and understanding that you're a sinner. Verse 15, Jesus said, "...the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the Gospel." Who's he talking to? He's talking to the Jewish people, to the nation of Israel. They're the ones he begins with. And what he's doing is Jesus is imploring them with his message to come home. He's imploring them to come back to God. See, they've been acting like prodigal sons and daughters for a long time. They've gone off and done their own thing and turned their backs of God on God. And he's saying the kingdom of God will soon be here. Turn your hearts and your minds and your lives back to God and believe in the good news. Here's the thing, 2,000 years later, we look at Jesus calling His first disciples. 2,000 years later, we're still talking about being disciples. The message still hasn't changed because God hasn't walked away from us. We're still the ones that walk away from God. We're still the ones that have to turn and come back home. God's still calling us to come back to Him, to believe in Jesus, and to give our lives to Him. And 2,000 years later, we're still the ones that wander away from God. But as with any good ministry, there's more than just preaching of the Word going on here. There's a living of the Word that's necessary, a a taking of the Word to the world. It's outreach and evangelism. It's why it's so important. We're never going to change the culture around us if we don't help people understand what we already know. That the choices you're making, the world that you're living in, the things that you're doing, they're not the only way. There is another way. There's a better way. There's a godly way. We change culture by bringing the good news to the world. Verse 16, Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, He saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Kind of gives the idea in the Greek when you, when you look at the word that says Jesus saw them. He saw them with His eyes, but He knew them with His heart. There was a perceiving. There was an understanding. He saw these guys and He knew these two were the ones. 
These were the first two that he was going to talk to. Why? Because they had a call on their lives from God. So I started doing this a couple weeks ago, and I hope this is all right with you because it's kind of fun for me, and I hear from a few of you that this is helpful. Let's bring a little context. Let's take a look at what it is that we're really talking about here. Here's a photo of the house in Bethsaida. They just discovered this not so many years ago over the span of 2,000 years. This is the house in Bethsaida, the little village that they've just discovered on a hilltop kind of overlooking the Sea of Galilee that's called the Fisherman's House. The next slide is of the sign that sits outside of it, Fisherman's House, and it talks about this passage. Why? Because this is where these guys lived. They found the house. Still there. The walls are only about this tall, which is all you see over there, because there's a stone foundation that comes up two and a half, three, three and a half feet, and then wooden walls and a ceiling that goes on top of that. But this is the fisherman's house. Why do I show you the pictures? Because we're not talking about fairy tales and fables. We're talking about real men, people who really lived. We're talking about real places you can still go to. History that you can stand in the middle of. And the Jesus that holds it all together was there as well. It isn't just that we're reading things that are good to learn and to know and to understand, but it's all true. So this is the house where these guys that made their living fishing would have lived. It's likely that 2,000 years ago Jesus would have been a visitor here. More than a few of the guys and an awful lot of the stuff that happened happened in this area. And so the guy that we were with, the tour guy, showed us... Uh, show the next slide if you would, please. He said, you need to realize something. They've just begun to excavate this. They haven't gone down very far. So they just kind of took the, the top layer of stuff off. And so this is a little path. The bigger one that we walked in on the left side of the photos here. And then there's a little path going up to the right. He said, that's the actual footpath that led to the front door of the house. Which means 2,000 years ago, guess who would have walked there? This guy Jesus that we talk about that some people in the world say isn't real. That's the walkway. That's where he would have actually stepped to go to the front door of the house to talk to the fishermen that were so key to his ministry. So I thought it was kind of cool. If you turn, literally, if you turn around from here and face out towards you, next slide, that's the view that they have of the Sea of Galilee. That's how close, close Bethsaida is to the water. They come up off of the shore a little bit. This is the edge of town. That's the Sea of Galilee. That's where all of this action is actually happening. Jesus would have stood there and had that view. Verse 17, Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Jesus didn't ask for volunteers. He didn't make a request. He didn't say, Hey guys, I hate to break into your work day. He didn't go up and offer an opportunity or a suggestion. It was an imperative. It was assumed he knew. What he didn't do was to say, hey guys, I got an opportunity for you. And when you can decide when it's the right time in your life, when your finances feel good, when, when uh, you know, you're feeling like you're, you're emotionally ready for this. He didn't say when, when you feel like you got your life in order and you're ready for the next thing. He didn't say any of that. He said, come with me. It was an imperative. When Jesus calls, He expects us to answer now. I go back eight and a half, nine years ago now when the very first conversations about what became this place began to happen. And you, I can't tell you, I'm a mix of excited and terrified. Because I knew there was no promises, there was no guarantees, there was no money, and there was no people. 
But you know what? A handful of us knew that's what God was calling us to. And so we said yes. Without knowing anything that was going to follow. And our greatest hope was that we were still around at Christmas that first year. And when Jesus calls, He expects us to answer now and it hasn't changed. One of the first classes they have us take at seminary is a, is a class called Reading the Audience. And the whole idea is to understand who you're around and who you're preaching to and who you're doing ministry with. And Jesus was a master of reading the audience. Jesus was really, really good at it. And we know it because of this very passage. We know it because He understands these guys, where they live, what they do. He uses their own language. And He gives them this fishing analogy. And He says, I'm going to teach you to bring in people. Not fish. You're going to go after souls now. You want to do something with your life that matters? I'm going to teach you to fish for people. God still calls you and I to fish for people today. Verse 18. Immediately they left their nets and they followed Him. Jesus understood, or the, the men understood the importance of what Jesus was saying. They immediately picked up the urgency that He was talking about. And we know that because of their reaction. They responded so quickly that they dropped their nets. Makes me think of the movie Forrest Gump. Remember that movie? Been a while now. Forrest Gump was, was, did a whole lot of different things. And one of them was he met Lieutenant Dan when he was in the Army. And Lieutenant Dan lost his leg, so he ended up in a wheelchair. And Forrest Gump ended up in a shrimp boat. But the guy who gave him the idea for the shrimp boat died as well. So Forrest was on his own. And he's coming into port one day in this big old shrimp boat. And out on the dock, he looks and he sees Lieutenant Dan. And Forrest knew nothing else mattered as much as Lieutenant Dan. And so the boat's trucking on in the water. And Forrest just jumps. And everybody goes, stupid Forrest. And he swims to the dock and he gets up because the most important thing was Lieutenant Dan. He dropped immediately what he was doing. He didn't care about the boat. He didn't care about the investment. He didn't care about the future. He cared about Lieutenant Dan. These guys care about Jesus. He says to follow me and they drop their nets. doesn't seem like it's that big a deal until you realize the nets are the key to their livelihood. That's how they make their money. They've got a huge investment in their nets. Their care and well-being. The people that are looking to them to be responsible for them, they all rely on those nets. So what did they do? They dropped them and went with Jesus. Something in them knew that when Jesus said, follow me, it was a yes or no, right now answer. And so they dropped their nets and they looked forward and they went with Jesus. Why did they do that? Because I knew they're never going to need those nets again. So often we, we weigh the cost and we think about the possibilities and the opportunities and what may or may not feel good or what we might like or what we might not like. And we don't really let go of anything, but we kind of dip our toe in the water. These guys dropped everything behind and they walked away from their ability to earn an income to follow Jesus. Because Jesus said, come and follow me. They knew that they were going forward and they weren't coming back. Verse 19, going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending their nets. Picking up a theme, first four men that Jesus goes and calls are fishermen. There's something about the ministry that Jesus has for them that they understand. It wasn't like that was the only profession in the area. But these guys all had something in common. So thought it might be helpful to 
show you a little bit of a picture here too. This is the water. This is the Sea of Galilee. This is the shoreline outside the ancient city of Capernaum. All the way at the south end is where the River Jordan flows on down. That's the Sea of Galilee. That's the view they woke up to every morning. That's the body of water these guys worked on. It's where they fished. It's what they counted on to earn a living. Up until this day, their entire existence revolved around this place. But when you look at it, that's also the sea that Jesus walked on. That's the water that Jesus calmed the storm on. That's the body of water that the people were so afraid of when it kicked up a a storm. This is the Sea of Galilee that we see over and over and over in the New Testament. The next picture is looking down to the right now from this place. And the little bit of stuff on the right, that's only a few hundred years old. But the rest of it is pretty much the view that Jesus would have had when He came walking down the shoreline to approach these guys. Not a sandy beach, it's a rocky beach. And they say that where the fishermen used to be were down in the way towards the right there. So this is pretty much looking at exactly where all this took place. Pretty awesome that this Bible that we read actually had real people that stood in real places and you're looking at them right there. So he comes up to these other guys in verse 20 and he immediately called them and they left their father Zebedee in a boat with the hired servants and they followed him. Once again, how long did it take him to think about it? Immediately. Jesus said, follow me. Immediately. They dropped their nets and they even left their dad. They walked away from their investment and they walked away from their father. My dear friend from Haiti, Dr. Julio Volsi, spoke here a few months ago and he said, Understanding can wait, but obedience is immediate. These disciples had no prior warning. They hadn't been given notice. They didn't know what was coming. Jesus just showed up one day and he said, Follow me. Obedience is immediate, but understanding can wait. How often do we say, Jesus, I'll do what you want me to do because, man, I hear you. I know what I'm supposed to do, but I'm not sure I know enough yet. I'm not sure I know enough of how it's going to impact my life. I'm not sure who I'm going to be by the time you're done with me. I want a little more of a guarantee. I want a little bit more knowledge and understanding. That can wait. Jesus says, follow me and do it now. These disciples that immediately follow Jesus give us a lesson that we need to pay attention to because most of us aren't real good at it. Most of us aren't real good at not counting the cost of what being a disciple means because what we do is we say, well, you know what? My finances aren't quite ready. When I get in a better shape, we'll go do what you want me to do, God. You You know, when I'm a little bit more secure in my job, when the kids get a little bit older, when I feel a little more emotionally comfortable with it, Jesus says, follow me, and the disciples followed Him. They didn't wait. They didn't ask questions. Not one of them asked a question. Jesus said, follow me, and they did. But then the other thing we've got to notice is, Jesus went to them. Jesus didn't call a town meeting and say, hey, I'm going to be, I'm going to be hosting an opportunity to be a disciple. If you're interested, come on out. Jesus went to where they were. Jesus brought the good news to them. God had a call on them and a ministry for them. And Jesus wanted to make sure that they understood. And so, where do we fit into the text? God has a calling on you. What's God calling you to do? Where's God calling you to plug in? If your answer is God's not calling you to anything, 
I can promise either you're not listening or you're ignoring. If you're here this morning, if you're listening to this message online, God has a call on you. From the very beginning, Jesus made it clear that our job was to come back to God. God has a call on you. Yours isn't the same as mine. But if you're listening, God is trying to speak to you. So ask you, what's your ministry? What is it that God is trying to get you to step out of what's comfortable, what you know, what you understand, what you think you can handle, and to go to do? What is your ministry? What is the area that you are learning to grow as a disciple in the church? It's a good thing to come on Sunday morning and to worship and to, to look at the Bible and to hear a message and to, and to sing. That's all really good. But you know what? Where are you growing? Where are you growing and where are you going? Why are you a Christian? What's your purpose? What is your ministry? What are you doing? Maybe you say, well, I don't know. I don't really know what my options are. I'm not ready to go to some foreign country where I don't speak the language and be a missionary, so I guess God doesn't need me. Guess what? There's other opportunities. What are they? You say, eh, let's burn down a few that we've got. How about prayer ministry? How about week air? How about missions? How about welcome ministry or parking, which on a day like today is a very popular one. Jeff's had seven volunteers just after first service, right? Yep, we want to be out with you guys. Uh, for the record, you know what? One of the ministries I hear so much about around town is parking. I can't believe you got people that stand out there in the cold and they smile. Think of the statement that makes. We got parking ministry, we got hospitality ministry, worship production, children's ministry, grounds and facility, life group, hosting or leadership, alpha, music. What's God calling you to? What's your ministry? If you're not plugged into something, my, my question is why? Why? God hasn't invited you to something? What's your ministry? Where is it that you are growing in the church? See, God in His wisdom, and, and, and in all honesty to me, it almost seems foolish because I just don't understand it. I, I realize the more that I am in this world of the church, I realize how little I understand of the mind of God because in God's great wisdom, going all the way back to the beginning, He chooses simple men and women to do what is the seemingly impossible task of planting and growing His church on earth. He uses simple people who for all that we can tell probably don't have half of what is needed to get the job done. And yet He looks to us to establish His church on earth. And here's the part where God's plan is so much greater than ours. Because I've been down this road. I've been told how to do it. I've been told here's the right thing and here's what you need to do and you'll never succeed if you don't. And I took all that great information and I set it to the side and, and we started praying. Because you know what we do as people? We look for great leaders. Who has established themselves in the business world? Who are the best people that have the most success because they've made the most money? Let's grab those people and then the best managers and the best visionaries and let's get the strongest Christians because surely God will love us for that. Let's get the best finance people and let's craft a business plan and then lay out a strategy with a mission statement and a vision to build the church. That's how we're told to do it. There's a model, there's a formula that you do it. 
Instead, God uses ordinary people with less than adequate skills, some of whom get so worked up about having to speak in public, they try to figure out how not to have to do it. And we've all got a smattering of faith, and He sends His Holy Spirit to increase our faith and to give us the gifts and understanding that can only come from Him. And then He uses us, filled in with His Holy Spirit, to do what we can never do on our own. And places like this come to be, if we're willing. But like those disciples that, if we're willing, are the biggest letters on the page. It doesn't happen without us. It doesn't happen without you. What's your ministry? Are you willing to do it? I said earlier that we're the direct descendants of the first disciples. And long as being a part of a family, there's a family responsibility. You can't be a part of a family and, and not serve that family. You can't be a part of the family and not recognize that that family looks to you to offer some things in addition to what it is that we get from the family. There's responsibility in being a part of the family. One of those responsibilities is that we become the disciples as well as the disciple makers. We learn and grow and put us in, ourselves in places so that we become more and more like Jesus and less and less like ourselves. And then we help other people to do the same thing. That's why Jesus spent His whole life creating disciples. It isn't enough just to learn and to grow, but we have to do as well. And the doing, that's your ministry. If Jesus has become real to you, and if you're here on a morning this cold, in some way or another, Jesus is real to you. What are you going to do? You're going to answer the call that God has on you. And maybe you say, I don't know, I've never really listened. Please start listening. If you say, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I don't want to. Please apologize to God and then just take the step. Because you know what? As much as the church needs you to do whatever it is God has called you to, you know you really need to accept the call because you will grow. You will be challenged. You will be taken outside what's comfortable. And the next question is, when will you do it? Some people will say, I'll do it right now. I will immediately answer the call. Whether that's making bars for Tuesday or offering to help be a part of a life group or talking to Pastor Rich about we care or talking to Kitty about prayer. Some of you will say, right now, I'm in. I'll do it. Some of you go, you know what? The family's not in a good place. Money's a little tight. Work's a little bit uncertain. I'm emotionally not prepared. What's your excuse? Because we do that. We say, well, God, maybe I'll do it later. But you know what? God's asking you to do something now. What's your ministry going to be? What is your ministry? How will you grow His church? And how will you minister to His people? Truth is, when you say yes, it really isn't about you. But it is for you just as much as it's for others. Your life your experiences, your skills, your sin, everything that makes you who you are, God can use. God can use that because there's somebody out there that He wants to put you in front of who needs to be able to have someone who says, I understand. Because I haven't lived through every life experience and I can't say I understand. All the folks in the We Care ministry, they can't say they understand, but you know what? For somebody out there, you can you say, I get it. I've been there. I made the same decision myself. I made the same mistake. I faced the same obstacle. 
It's as much about somebody else as it is about you. You grow as a disciple, but what you also do is you get to bring Jesus to someone else that needs Him. Ministry isn't just about serving the church because the church needs help. That's a very, very wrong understanding. It's about being a part of a family. So what's your place and what's your role and what has God uniquely created you to bring to the table? What's your ministry? And if you don't have one, when will you? Because we can't be a Christian and say no to Jesus. Those disciples could have gone on doing their thing, just being fishermen. Could have been content and happy with it. But they said yes when Jesus gave them a call. What will you say? Because Jesus is still calling us to be the church today. So what will be your ministry? Let's pray. God, thank You that You use people just like us. Had it been someone other than fishermen, we might have a hard time understanding. Had it been priests, rabbis, other people of high education and high income, we might have said, well, we'll never be like that person. I can't do that. But you know, there's something in every one of us that can relate, can relate to a fisherman. Even if we've never fished a day in our life, there are people that aren't outside our understanding. God, my prayer would be that Your Holy Spirit would work in and on and with and through each one of us that we would understand being a part of this great family that Your church is an awesome thing. But You've brought us all here for a reason. You've brought us all here because without each and every one of us, the church is something less than what it could be, what You've called us to be. So God, thank You for every one of these people. Thank You for the thoughts they're having right now about what their ministry might be, how they might be able to be a part of things. And God, thank You for who You are, that You reach out to us, and even after 2,000 years, You're still inviting us to come home. God, we give You thanks for this this wonderful place, this opportunity to serve You through this church and along with all these wonderful people. And it's in Jesus' name we say thank You. Amen. We live in a world full of uh, people that are frustrated and unhappy and sad and, and looking for somebody to do things different for them. And I think an awful lot of that is our world, our culture, everything around us tells us to take care of number one, And make sure you do whatever you have to do to make sure other people take care of you. And it makes us miserable. And in the church, God's got a completely different plan and a totally different opportunity. And that is, come and grow and learn and serve others and be a part of a family. Is it a a message of you have to? No, it's an opportunity to say you get to. Jesus didn't insist that anybody follow Him. But He offered and gave them an opportunity to follow Him. The, the thing that happens if you say no, that you don't want to have a place and don't want to serve, yeah, the church is a little bit less than what it could be because the church has a place for absolutely everybody. God has a call in all of our lives. But the thing that's going to miss out the most, the person that's going to miss the most is, is you. And that's not the way that God designed the church. And I was talking to a guy between service and he says, I'm not really sure what my ministry is. I can't do everything, but I can do something. And maybe where you start is by just saying yes to doing something. Thanks for coming, folks. We've got one more song. Uh, 12.30, we're going to get together if you want to hear a little bit about an update of where we are and where we're headed. And uh, it's going to get cold. The bad news is that this is the warm day this week. Um, So, yeah.
With that, thanks for coming. We have one more song, and I hope we see you next Sunday.